0: Where are my podcasters at? If you have a podcast or are thinking about creating one, then today's show is for you. My guest, Jeremy Enns, and I are discussing what it takes to create a podcast that gets noticed and stands out in a sea of a million other podcasts. Plus, how do you build a podcast that lands you clients? And we're gonna dive deep into the one step that most podcasters overlook when starting their show, I even overlooked this step, and how to market your podcasts in a scrappy way in 2023. So a little bit about Jeremy before we start. He is the founder of the Podcast Marketing Academy, where he teaches brands and creators to hit their next growth milestone with detailed step-by-step marketing playbooks. He's also writing the Scrappy Podcast newsletter, where he shares short, actionable ideas around how underdog shows can punch above their weight. He's originally from the cold, barren Canadian Prairies, but has been traveling full-time for the past six years. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeremy, and please excuse my voice. I have been suffering from laryngitis for a couple of weeks at the time of this recording. So enjoy the show and stay to the end because... Jeremy shares something that's truly insightful about what it takes to be successful in business these days. Get ready for The Rebel Uprising Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to business owners who feel overlooked for their expertise, skills, and experience. Let's claim your expertise and turn your complex ideas into unmistakable messaging that grows your business. I am your host, Dr. Michelle Maser, the author of The Three-Word Rebellion and Your Rebel Truth-Telling Guide to Building a Business That Gets Noticed jeremy ends welcome to the rebel uprising podcast i am so excited that you are here with us today
1: yeah thank you so much for having me michelle i am very (laughs) excited to be here
0: jeremy and i have known each other for probably over a year now i joined his podcast marketing academy to kind of dial in a lot of what was happening in this podcast and also to become more systematic with (laughs) marketing my own podcast but you know the thing i don't know about you jeremy is how did you get into podcasting to begin with
1: so let's see i i just passed my seven year anniversary in professional podcasting i suppose which my first client was just over seven years ago two weeks ago was the seven year anniversary uh so that was back in 2016 i suppose if we're in 2023 that math i think seems to make sense but i got into audio engineering and production in 20 11, I went to school and graduated in 2012, took a year long program uh, that was pretty like in-depth, hands on, meant for the music industry essentially. Although I do know a lot of people who went into the film industry as well that I went to school with. And so essentially I wanted to work in music and kind of went through school, got an internship at a big studio in Vancouver, where I'm originally from, and kind of was interning at the studio, unpaid a day or two a week for about a year and kind of realized that this wasn't really the career path that I wanted. And so essentially, like the people who are moving up the ranks from unpaid interns to paid assistants and things like that were, you know, there every single day of the week showing up at, you know, 8 a.m., leaving at 4 (laughs) a.m. Like just crazy. And it's most of this is all it's all unpaid. And which is, I think, technically illegal, I believe.
0: That feels like it should be illegal. Yes.
1: Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those industries where it's just like like so many creative industries, there's people willing to do it. And so, you know studios can get away with it and uh, i could not afford to do that and so kind of like was realized i never was never going to get ahead in the, the studio kind of hierarchy But i was always thinking about making it as a freelance career but when i just thought about like okay how much what's the earning potential here what is my life going to look like for the next you know many years decade it was kind of just mm-hmm. obvious to me that like this isn't really what i want to commit that much time to. And I I didn't really know what I wanted to do next and uh, took a year off, went traveling and kind of came back and was like, you know, I want to do more of that. And kind of after that point, I didn't know online business existed. I didn't really know podcasting existed or I've kind of heard of it at that time, but didn't had never listened to a show myself and kind of discovered podcasting and online business almost in the same day because I, I went into to iTunes and was like, I didn't even know what to search. I knew as I was a creative person. I wanted to start my own business and, you know, put those those search terms into the the box in, in iTunes at the time. And you know, smart passive income came up and a bunch of other shows. And I kind of yeah. like went down the rabbit hole and a few months later kind of realized that my existing skills kind of ported over perfectly to the online business world.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I had no idea you were hoping to be, you know, a studio engineer working with great music but I can also see like unpaid labor is not cool.
1: No, not so much.
0: So what I wanted to talk to you about was like, how do we grow our podcasts? And there are so many podcasts being started every single day. So how do you really create a show that can stand out from all the competition?
1: yeah so i think like what you said there is actually the starting point and most people skip that step or eventually reach that step um but really like starting with something that can stand out one of the great ironies of marketing and creative work is for me is that most of us don't want to do marketing necessarily now like i i love marketing at this point but i also you know there are certainly fun aspects to it and there's parts that are just always going to be kind of a grind you got to keep doing it and like that's just part of the game but like I think we all have our like creative craft or skill that we really wanna spend our time doing. And in this context, that's you know creating the show itself. Maybe it's doing the interviews, maybe you love editing and doing sound design or whatever it is. But I think that the irony here is that we wanna spend less time marketing, but the way to do that is create something that actually stands out on its own in the first place and is like what I would call a marketable show. And we often skip that step. And so essentially what we end up doing is creating a show that's largely generic and that if we want it to grow, we have to market like 10 times harder than if we had actually made, done the research up front and created a show that was actually marketable. And so I think starting at that spot, like actually creating a marketable show, that comes down to finding I I think a lot of times a compromise. I know this is more of a business audience, so this is, I think, a bit Mm -hmm. easier than maybe a more artistic audience. But like finding this kind of blend of where our personal craft and artistry and and the, the show that we want to make lines up and overlaps with what people are. There's an interest in like we can see that like, oh, these types of shows are doing well, but also there's some gaps here and this is how I can create a show that isn't just another kind of copycat show, generic interview show on this topic that there's already 25 that exist out there. And there's really, if anybody didn't know me and came across all these shows, like they wouldn't be able to tell that my show is any different from any of those other ones. And so I think that's really the first step that involves some some market research, some maybe listening to the other shows that are out there. I think we all you know have, have been there where like it feels bad sometimes when you go in and listen to more established shows and you realize like you can't create at that level yet. But it's also helpful at the start to realize like okay well maybe i can't create at that level yet but i see there's an opportunity here that nobody's doing this thing and if i start today within a year from now, I can be the kind of like, I can own that space there. And so I think that's really where the the starting point should be when it comes to marketing and, and starting a show.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like step number one before, cause I know people do this all the time. They're like, I'm gonna have a podcast and I'm just gonna start it, and I'm gonna interview some great people. And then all of a sudden, like I had a conversation the other week with a friend of mine and she's like, well, I don't feel like my podcast actually leads people to my work and my business and I'm like, no, you're just interviewing a bunch of people. Like, how would that ever lead to your work? I am almost like, you have to be intentional about creating a show that highlights, like, your thoughts and your experience and your expertise. And yes, you can still interview people, but you have to interview them in service of your business. Like, I'm interviewing you because this month is all about how do we stand out? online. And so creating a standout podcast is a huge part of that. So it sounds like step one, like figure out who your audience is and how to serve them, and then go and do the research and look what else is out there. So when you're starting to think about how to position your show, like, what are some of the variables you should be thinking about so you can find that like little spot in the market where you can just Sneak right in and your show fits well.
1: I mean, there's almost infinite variables that you could choose. I think the thing to keep in mind is that you want to come up with a set of variables and like specifically like one spectrum, like on an X, Y axis, kind of like one kind of quadrant that you can occupy that people would actually choose a show based on that. And I think that's a mistake. You can like choose a bunch of variables and you can say, well, my show is the most, you know, whatever, there's no other show that is this X, Y, Z as mine is. But if that's not a reason that somebody would choose one show over another show that you can actually, Mm. you know, have proof of that you've talked to listeners. And they've said like, oh, yeah, you know, these shows are great, but I really wish there was something that was more whatever. Like, yeah, that's they're they're telling you that like, oh, if this thing existed, I would listen to that versus the the current shows that I'm listening to, or at least in addition to supplement those other ones. And I think that that's actually an interesting point is that with media consumption, usually we're not actually saying like, you know, people are currently listening to this show, but I'm going to pull them all away and they're only going to listen to mine. It's like, we all listen to, for the topics we're interested in, we listen to different shows and read different Mm -hmm. newsletters to get a different kind of aspect of that. And so some of those might be, you know, we might listen to Uh, For example, on just like creative work in general, let's say something that I like write a lot about and and in that world. And so some of the things I read are very inspirational. Some of them are highly actionable. And like, I want both of those because and I don't expect to get them from the same place. And I don't believe somebody trying to do both is necessarily going to give me both adequately. And so I think thinking about like, what are the reasons that your ideal, you know, audience, like what are the shows they're currently listening to? And I would just start to like make a big list. If there's 20 shows, just use like one adjective to describe each show or, you know, list a a few of them. And so you could say some are like, you know, super highly actionable. Some are really advanced, some are really beginner. And you'll start to notice like the shows group themselves. And so you'll be able to kind of see some trends. Yeah, and you can plot these then, I kind of mentioned the XY graph, and this is how I usually like to approach positioning, and you can just start to like put visually, okay, all these shows, they all seem to be more on the beginner side, and some of them are more actionable, some of them are more inspirational, some maybe are like story driven, or whatever you want to call it, and you can kind of see like, oh, usually in most niches, and not to say that everybody can or or everybody should serve a more advanced audience. But usually there are shows that are all clustered around serving beginners. And there's a huge gap on anybody serving like intermediate to expert. And so there's certainly fewer of those people, but they're willing to charge way more. They usually don't have much content that's targeted at them. And so for somebody who has a lot of who is an expert who can serve those people, like we feel this pull towards the beginners because everybody else is doing it. And it feels easy to create that content. And it takes a little bit more bravery, I think to like, say, like, okay, I'm actually going to speak to only people who are like at this really advanced level, but you know, I'm really going to be one of like two people who is doing it. And then if I'm only competing with one other person, then I can start to say like, okay, well, you know, this person's doing it in a really like, they're almost bringing this like engineering mindset to it. So I'm going to bring a bit more creativity and a bit more abstract thought to it, but also serving that audience. And then you, you kind of complement each other among those that advanced audience and probably a lot of those people engage with both of your shows. And so I think like that's yeah. would be how I would kind of think through that process.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because as you're saying all of this, that was kind of the process I went through with positioning my show. I looked at a bunch of like marketing podcasts. And I swear, like, if you read the podcast descriptions, you can get a good idea of how they're positioning themselves. And everybody was like, actionable, we're always so actionable with everything. And I was like, ooh, maybe I need to be more, you know, strategic and thoughtful and help people like ask better questions. And then the other thing I was thinking about is, yeah, like this is for experts. So I double down because there's not a lot of people talking to experts who have been in business for two or more years, and talking to them about the struggles with marketing and messaging, especially when you're running a business and servicing clients and still having to market. So yeah, like finding that space it helped me like reposition the show and get clear on the type of content I want to be creating.
1: And I think that the, the next step to that is like picking that is actually then you start to like really highlight who you're not for as well. And so it's one thing oh, to yeah. say, like we're for experts and everything, but I think the more, I don't wanna say like abrasive, but like strong, bold language saying like, this is not a show. If you are have been in business less than two years, do not listen to this show. And like really like, because nothing drives experts away faster than thinking that, oh, this is actually, there's gonna be a bunch of like beginners here and it's not actually gonna be for me because that's what most spaces are like and so i think like mm-hmm. really taking a strong position in within your positioning and like translating that into your messaging and so not just like you know like oh this is a show for experts it's like both pushing back on the people it's not for and also like really highlighting who it's for and making sure that that is so clear that like not for these people definitely specifically for these people
0: yeah, yeah, because I know even in my positioning for the show, I talk about the whole, you just have to be one step ahead of your clients. And I'm like, that's not who this show is for. Mm-hmm. Like, the people who listen to the show are like 100 steps ahead of their clients. Yep. You know, they're not just 10% more knowledgeable, they're like 1000% more knowledgeable. And that just, yeah, I think that strong stance of like, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are terrified of doing that. Like, yes. well, what if I lose a potential client? Be like... If you work with experts who are established, those people you're repelling are not your potential clients. They might be someday, but not right now.
1: Yeah, I actually heard a great, I suppose it's not an analogy, it's kind of like an example of this. I read in a newsletter, I don't know what it was last week, but it was talking about essentially this one of the values of niching down is that you encounter the same situations again and again and again. And this is where you actually drive up your value a lot. Because when every person comes to you wants the exact same thing, you're able to really master that one thing. And all of a sudden, you're like the leading person in the world for that. Whereas if you work with 10 different people on 10 different problems, you actually haven't really improved your level of expertise on any one of those. And so you're actually hurting your own earning potential, as well as your kind of uh, referability in the future. And I thought, oh, that's just such another interesting wrinkle when it comes to niching is that like really you want to be in a position where you only do one thing and people only come to you for one thing it's so easy for you because you've done this literally a hundred times and like no matter what kind of variable like kind of version of that thing people come to you for it's like yeah this is my bread and butter I could do this in my sleep and I can charge yep. way more for it because I've done this you know a hundred times where everybody else has only done this three times and that was like another realization for me just recently it's just like niching it feels like there's almost endless benefits to it that you keep realizing as you get further down the rabbit hole. And I I thought that that's just another uh, useful reminder for people as well.
0: Hey, Rebel, wouldn't it be amazing if people just recognized your expertise on the spot and decided to hire you? Of course it would. But we know business doesn't work that way. Instead, you have to show up and market. And let's face it, marketing has not been your jam and it feels like it doesn't work for your business. And there's a reason for that. In order to market effectively, so you grab attention and lead people to your offer, it takes having a -a one-of-a-kind message and an ability to build the case for why people should hire you. And that's exactly what we'll create in the Three Word Rebellion Messaging Intensive. Yes, we will co-create your three-word rebellion, but you'll also create all of the other messaging your business needs to efficiently and effectively show up and market your business while translating your expertise into a message your clients want to know more about. Interested in that? Then let's chat. Go to 3wrcall.com. That's the number 3wrcall.com and book a free consultation with me. I look forward to helping you get your message out in the world so that more people can hire you. All right. So what do you think is the biggest misconception business owners have around marketing their podcast?
1: I would say when it comes to marketing their podcast specifically, I think the whole, you know, build it and they will come is still <laughs> the, the, the dominant misconception there. I think the other big misconception, and, and maybe these two are, are kind of go hand in hand, is that starting a podcast will grow your business necessarily or grow your audience. I think it actually can grow your business, but it will not grow your audience. Like podcasting today in you know 2016, when I got into podcasting, it certainly was an audience acquisition channel today. It is yeah. more an, an audience like an existing audience nurturing channel. It's kind of like yes. sales enablement almost like moving people from like they're aware of you, they're maybe on your email list, maybe they've like listened to a few episodes and turning those people into customers or potential customers at mm-hmm. least. I think one of the big shifts you need to make is like realigning your expectations around your shows kind of space it occupies in your larger marketing strategy. And so saying like okay, I'm not going to put any pressure on my podcast to grow my audience because that's just not what it's designed to do. The ecosystem is not set up for that. And so I know if I want to grow my audience, I need to go find that somewhere else and it's okay if my podcast, you know, doesn't do that. And mm-hmm. instead, I'm going to make sure that what I'm doing with the podcast is appealing to people who already have some kind of base level understanding of my the problem that I'm solving, maybe they're already generally aware of me just a little bit, like they've come across me at some point, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna do everything in my power to move those people from aware of me and what I offer, and kind of give them a lot of nurturing, a lot of attention, help them move further along their journey, and get to the point where when my next offer comes around, you know they're interested. At least they're gonna consider taking me up on it. And so I think like that's the big one for sure.
0: Yeah, I agree with that because every once in a while I'll have a client come to me and they're like, oh well my podcast will grow my audience. I was like, no, your podcast. Podcast is an excellent marketing and sales tool for me, whenever somebody says to me, Michelle, I've just binged your show, and they're getting on a sales conversation, I'm like, I know things about them. I know we speak the same language. I know for having this conversation, they've pretty much sold themselves already on the process because they've listened to a bunch of episodes of the show. And they're getting my viewpoint on messaging and positioning and my unique takes. And so they're usually super ready to work with me. And then it's only about fit. And I think that, That's the brilliance of a podcast, but then it kind of goes into like, you have to have the other audience acquisition activities going on. So with that, what do you feel are some of the best ways to actually grow your audience so the people who know you so building awareness so that more people listen to your podcast in 2023?
1: Well, there are a lot of ways to do it. I think it depends a lot on your circumstances. So if you have a budget, like advertising is certainly a way that you know, most big shows mm-hmm advertise pretty heavily. And there's also something to be said for like, usually advertising when you're small, it often doesn't work as, uh, you know, when you don't have your messaging worked out. Advertising is really hard. Like it it just doesn't work until you like have figured out all your copy and messaging and all that kind of stuff, which often when you're small, you like haven't got enough feedback to actually figure it out yet. So a lot of people start and they're like, okay, I'm just going to throw money at it and it doesn't work. Also, I was just talking with somebody who had recently run kind of a masterclass or live workshop on Facebook advertising for podcasters. And Mm -hmm. basically when he asked, you know, the the people in attendance, like, you know, who are you targeting with your ads? And none of them knew. And if you've ever done any Facebook advertising, you know it is all about, you have to be specific about who are you trying to reach if you don't want to be spending $100 per, you know, lead or whatever it is. And so getting to the point where, you know, you figured that stuff out, like that's when advertising is going to be a better fit. Kind of leading up to that, I would say like just being... I usually think about it in stages kind of. So if you're getting your like first, you know, 500 listeners or subscribers, mm-hmm. I think just being active in one single community where you know there's a large number of people who are good fits for your show, like just be an active contributing member there. Talk about your show like sparingly, like not promotionally, but like where relevant mm-hmm. in a conversation and say like, hey, actually I, I talked about this. Here-, here are my thoughts on this question that you had that you posted. If you wanna know more from like minutes, you know, 1735 to 1854, I talked about it in this episode and like be so specific that they They don't have to listen to the whole episode. They're like, oh, this is a one minute commitment of my time. I'm going to get something Mm -hmm. valuable and maybe they'll keep listening. But like never expect that anybody is going to leave the platform they're on to listen through a 45 minute podcast to get a simple answer to a question in a community. That usually doesn't work. But by doing that, by like being active in the community, you'll get a lot of feedback on your ideas around your show. You'll become known mm. as a contributing member of that community. You'll be able to get into conversations with people who either are existing listeners, where you'll start to get some actual engagement with the show, which is something all podcasters want. And you'll also start to start conversations with people who would be, you know, potential listeners for yeah. the show. And so. I think when you're starting out, that's like the best place to go. Scaling up from there, I'd look at like collaborations, podcast guesting, cross promos, things like that to start kind of broadening your reach from there.
0: Yeah, I love that community-based approach because most people, I feel like most people would be like, well, be on social media, be on Instagram or Twitter, which you can be. But I I love the approach of just like being finding a vibrant community that you can be a part of and sharing your expertise and then being very specific with how they can get the answer to the question. Like I feel I feel like that's a very maverick strategy that (laughs) most people wouldn't be willing to do. Yeah,
1: I think so much of of marketing, it also comes into sales as well. The whole, I mean, marketing and sales are part of this larger whole of obviously business, but like, I think about a lot about like creating content is like, what's the work you're doing on behalf of your listeners. And so the more work you're willing to do for people, the more likely they are to take that action and to, you know, stick with you from the show. And so I think whether that's doing research on their behalf and distilling it down into your podcast episode. So like, you know, I have a friend who she, her newsletter is, uh, her name's Chanel and it's called uh, growth in reverse. And essentially she Mm -hmm. breaks down newsletters that have at least I think 50,000 subscribers and she breaks down their backstory like how did they get there and so she says in the tagline for the newsletter she's like you know I do 40 hours of research for every issue so you don't and you can read it in 15 minutes or 10 minutes and it's like Oh, that's a much better use of my time than doing all that research. And so I think like, oh, if I subscribe to her newsletter, I'm basically getting hundreds and hundreds of hours of research done for me and that I can just read in 10 minutes a week to like learn all the secrets. And it's like, that's a great trade off. And so I think whether it's shows or whether it's, you know, how we promote our shows and like actually going out of our way to make it easier to like reduce the friction for somebody to have like a a positive interaction with us and our content, that's going to be more effective.
0: All right, Jeremy, are you ready? It's time for the three-word rebellion lightning round of questions. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. This is one of my favorite parts of the show because I don't know how you're going to answer these questions and I've known you for a while. So, all right. The first question, what's one thing you're rebelling against?
1: I think that uh, the thing I am rebelling against. I don't know if this is this is partially an internal thing and partially a societal thing. And I think this comes more through in my creative wayfinding newsletter, but is it's something around our expectations around time. And this is something that like I feel like mainly I write that newsletter (laughs) as a letter to myself to like constantly reassure myself that like, okay, you're on the right track and none of this happens fast. And that like I shouldn't expect success to come in six months or one year or five years or like, So I I think there's something about like we are just programmed in the online worlds in particular. We see so many examples of people who seem to come up overnight. Some of them, maybe there are some outliers who do just like break through immediately, whatever. Most people that do break through, they've been working at it for years. For me, I think that's my biggest kind of rebellion is saying like we as creatives, like if we love the work we're doing, we should be excited to do this for the next the rest of our lives essentially decades to come and so what's this end line that we think we're rushing towards when it's like the reward for getting being successful is getting to do more of what we're already doing and so maybe we should just create a process that it doesn't matter how long it takes it's rewarding now and it's going to be rewarding a year from now and it's going to be rewarding 10 years from now and kind of doing away with this kind of like I need to have this thing by this date or you know everybody else is having it success much faster than me or whatever it is.
0: Yeah I feel like you've answered both questions one and two with the change you'd like to create because what I see I was joking with a friend of mine this morning I was going to write an email about my $48,000 launch because you know how people always do that mm-hmm. and I was like yeah step one is be in business for 11 years and do Exceptional work for your clients. Create frameworks. Develop a ton of goodwill, and then in year eleven, finally launch your community offer. <laughs>
1: like, you know, I, I wrote a, a Twitter post. I think on uh, on the, over the weekend, something like that. I've been rewriting my sales page and it's coming like really easy and I found this the last yeah. number of sales pages that I've written and they've just been like oh this is easy and I remember when writing sales copy used to be really hard and so yeah. I kind of my tweet was something like you know my simple three-step uh, form or hack for like you know amazing sales copy and the first was like you know be thoroughly embedded in a community an active member for five years uh talk to hundreds of your potential customers write 500 blog posts on the topic you know m- write multiple sales pages and basically your sales copy takes care of itself like easy <laughs>
0: Easy peasy after you've done it a million times. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's such an interesting change because it's like one of like the values of my community. It's like we play the long game because that's the only game to play. And so if you're Mm -hmm. able to keep going, that's amazing. So if everyone acted on this change of playing the long game, taking that longer perspective, what do you think business or even the world would be like?
1: I mean, I think we'd just be... Healthier and happier. I think perspective is so interesting when we just think about internally our, and then like it's such a a shift that we can make internally without even thinking about the rest of the world. But I think our perception changes when we think like I, I had a breakthrough a, a few years ago when I kind of thought about this idea of like when we get onto this path where it's kind of like things click for us and it's like oh I'm like I I think I I'm doing something unique and I'm not you know quote unquote successful at this yet Mm -hmm. but you know i can see that where this is going like i'm going somewhere where not everybody else is going yet and i've got this unique blend of things that i'm going to need to figure out how to communicate it i'm going to need to figure out how to create products and sell it but like all of a sudden in that moment like all sense of competition kind of faded away. And it was kind of just like, oh, like I feel like time is on my side now. Rather than working against me, it's like, oh, the more time I put into this, the more I'm gonna get out of it, the more success I'm gonna get. And like, I just like, I'm on a path now that I can just keep going and that feels great. And yeah, I, you know, I would like more financial success or whatever at, at this point, or, you know, th- we always have those things, but we also kind of have to realize that like, we're always gonna be wanting more, whatever we achieve, like mm-hmm. the next one's gotta be bigger now. And so I think, keeping in mind that like, okay, we're our own worst enemy here. And if we can kind of constantly be realigning our expectations, I think that just brings a lot more ease into how we treat ourselves, how we treat our expectations around our projects and our podcasts and how we just like go through and experience the world, which if everybody did that, I think like generally tensions would be lower. People would, I think of like almost, you know, people in uh, Spain or Italy or or Portugal where you and I are North American. Uh, I'm planning on moving to, to either Spain or Portugal in the fall. But one of the things I, you know, having visited those countries really admire is that work is not necessarily the preeminent thing in people's lives. And I think it's hard when you're entrepreneurial, when you're creative, when you need to make your income happen, you're not necessarily, you know, don't have yeah. uh, social security or anything like that. But I think like that's the type of life I think we would all probably have more of like, okay, like things will take their time and we can enjoy life, you know, while we're, we're on the path to getting there.
0: Yeah, I love it, I love it. All right. so. As we wrap up, I just want to put a shout out, you are in the middle of your launch for the podcast, Marketing Academy, and I love the Academy, but do you just wanna give us a little blurb about what that's about?
1: Yeah, so they I st- have started this now. I think the three-year anniversary is is coming up as we're recording this, and so we've been through six cohorts of the program so far. This one coming up will be the seventh. And uh, there's two versions. There's kind of a self-paced community and uh, and self-paced course, and then there's also the six-week accelerator version. And so that's the the kind of one that's now opening up. The the self-paced community is now open uh, for enrollment anytime. But really, the the six-week accelerator. This is the one that I have the most fun teaching. I think it's the one that uh, people get the most out of because it's just a ton. of of kind of marketing, thoughtful, introspective questions that most people like haven't really considered before. And so there's certainly an educational piece, but there's a lot of like Mm -hmm. asking and answering the questions that are going to set your marketing up for success. And one of my favorite things is the light bulb going off when people see that like, oh, I actually had all the answers to this stuff, but I hadn't kind of thought through them in a cohesive way. And now that I know the answer to these questions, they're not like anything that is going to be, you know, utterly groundbreaking, but like I now have the system, I'm like, oh, I have my marketing plan here. I know how to talk about my show. I know what differentiates it from other shows. I know like where to find my people and how to get in front of them. And all these things kind of line up and all of a sudden your confidence is just like, oh, I can figure this out. I can do this on an ongoing basis. And so uh, that's really what that program's all kind of built around is like in a six-week period, kind of overhauling your your marketing strategy and getting you to the point where you just have absolute confidence going forward in uh, in marketing and growing your show. And of course, as uh, this is a business audience, then turning those people into clients and customers and income for your business.
0: Yeah. And I can't say enough, like I really love the podcast marketing community that you've created. I am an active member. So if you are a podcaster listening to the show, check it out because it really will help you like redefine your show if that's what you need and get more systematic with your marketing. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about the Podcast Marketing Academy. So Jeremy, tell us where we can find you online.
1: Yeah, so I would say the best place uh, to find me is on Twitter at I am Jeremy N's. I've also got a podcast marketing assessment that you can take, which I believe you will have a link in the show notes for yes. that. And so essentially, mm-hmm. it takes two minutes to answer 20 questions, and it will give you a breakdown of, you know, where the current uh, strengths and weaknesses in your marketing strategy are so that you can start to address those and improve your results.
0: All right. Yeah, go take that podcast marketing audit, it is incredibly insightful and will tell you exactly Exactly what you need to focus on in order to fine tune your own show and your marketing for your show. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. This is fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Jeremy. The most important takeaway for me was around the power of niching. I know some of you are afraid to do it because what if you turn someone off? But that's kind of the point of niching. It lets you get more specific about who you work with, who your show is for, and most importantly, who it's not for. And I love that Jeremy asked you to take a bold stand about who you're not for. Because when you know that, it becomes so much easier easier to create a message, to create content for the people that you most want to work for. And guess what? When you do that, you can actually charge more for the work you do because it is so specific. So even though there are a million podcasts out there or businesses who do what you do. There's still plenty of room for you to niche down and stand out. If the Rebel Uprising podcast is helping you claim and communicate your expertise so that your clients can find and hire you, please share the show with a friend. The easiest way to do that is through PodLink. You can find the show at pod.link rebel, and that page will allow anyone you share the show with to subscribe and start listening in their favorite podcast player. That's pod.link rebel. The Rebel Uprising podcast is a production of Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. The podcast is edited by Stephen Mills. Our executive producers are Sean and Tara McMullen. The Rebel Uprising podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional land of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, original stewards of the land, past and present.